Let's, you may be seated. <laughs> I shouldn't say let's. As you know, we've been looking at unity the last couple, three weeks. And uh, uni- unity as far as a philosophy of ministry. Uh, we've been using blocks, which you cannot see because of the, uh, the communion table. But again, the five building blocks, as it were, of, of our church ought to be a high view of God. That, that really is the beginning point, a high view of God. If you don't have that, then nothing else can work. Again, we don't come into doing church to just do church. It's because we have a high view of God. He's high and lifted up. And God has given us also His Word. And so therefore, since it's His Word, we should have a sufficient view of the Word of God, of the Scriptures. Now again, once we have a high view of God and a sufficient view of Scripture, then we can have a low view of man. Now again, where do we get a low view? Wait, where's the thing? Come on, Greg. <laughs> I love Greg. A low view of man. By the way, the world doesn't have a low view of man. And if, and if you don't have a low view of man then you're thinking like the world. Now, what do I mean by low? By the way, I don't mean that you're worthless. We are made in the image of God. Christ came to die for us. Okay, that's not a low view. But what I'm saying by that is we are depraved without God, that every part of us is stained, that our motivations are sinful. That's what I mean by low. I don't mean that you're worthless. Christ died for you. But what I'm saying is the way we look at ourselves, we, we can't look at ourselves without Christ as we're just a diamond in the rough. That's not, that's not correct. We have, we have sinful motivations. Our hearts are darkened. Our minds are against God. That's a low view of man. Now, when you put those three together, what you build on top of that is an accurate view of the church. In other words, why do we get together? We don't get together because we're all where we ought to be. But where is it? <laughs> I, it's slow. Come on now. I only got a certain amount of time here. Um, no, you know what we find with an accurate view of the church? Is that we're all fellow strugglers. I'm a fellow struggler. Okay? I have, I have issues in my own heart that needs to be resolved. And they will continue until I see Christ. That means I pray for you, you pray for me. We work together. That th- those who are mature should be equipping those others so that we all work together. That's what Ephesians 4 talks about. In other words, there's not just a bunch of spectators watching a few people do all the work. A correct view of the church says we are all doing the work of the ministry because we have all been given a gift by God. All right, that's a spiritual gift. And not only the spiritual gift, but it actually goes into this, the one and others. See, the one and others are to be done by everyone. Now, you have a specific gift given by God to you, to the church, but then we all do the one and others. That's an accurate view of the church. And then finally, we have to have a biblical view of church leadership. Biblical view of church leadership means that we are led by not just one man, such as myself, but a group of men. And those men are called what? Elders. Or you can call them shepherds. You can call them pastors. Just understand it's plural. In fact, if you go to Acts 20, and this is where we'll be for a few moments. If you could keep that up there for a moment there, Greg. But Acts 20, we're going to be looking at elders. 
And we're going to look at church leadership. By the way, when I talk about leaders today, I'm not just talking about elders. I mean, there are many, many leaders in this church beyond just elders. We have elders, we have deacons, we have teachers, we have leaders in other smaller groups, we have leaders within neighborhood home groups. We're, we're all leaders. I mean, those are all leaders that I'm referring to. But primarily, the leaders of the church is, are the elders. And by the way, if we work this out properly, we will have true unity in our church. Over the years, as I've seen times of dissension, many times, it, many, most of the times, it goes back to this whole system right here. The fact is that someone doesn't have a high view of God, or they don't have a sufficient view of Scripture, and that's where the conflict comes. Or they're looking for leadership to do something that the Bible doesn't say that we need to do. So in other words, these building blocks truly do create unity. It helps to keep the unity, like Ephesians 4. You know, sometimes people are united, but they are not unified. Again, Satan would want to destroy the unity of this church. Do you agree with that? It's not a big thing. I mean, it's not a hard thing to create disunity. It really isn't. It's, It's not a hard thing to do that. It's a hard thing to create unity. Again, two chickens tied at at their legs, thrown over a clothesline, may be united. But they're not unified. Right? I think sometimes, I I feel like sometimes we're two chickens. And sometimes there has been that conflict. Thankfully, it isn't right now. But I'm just saying, just because you're working together doesn't mean that you're unified. doesn't mean that you really have true unity. Again, sometimes we're squawking at each other. So we want to make sure that we truly are unified. You can turn that off now. Thank you, Greg. Um, so again, Acts chapter 20, this is where Paul is saying bye to the uh, Ephesian elders. And he says, verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And I notice he's calling for the elders. And today's message is really dealing with uh, what should you expect of church leadership, starting with the elders, but then going down through as far as to the others. We're going to end with an application to shepherding about shepherding. But again, this can apply not just to elders, but to deacons, to teachers, to leaders in small groups, to leaders in neighborhood home groups. But here he's talking specifically to the elders. And again, notice the plural. Because again, a Christian church has a team of shepherds who provide loving pastoral care for every member of the church family. It's a team effort. By the way, it makes sense that it would be elders plural, a plural shepherds, because only Jesus Christ is the perfect shepherd, right? I mean, if you look at Christ in different passages in Scripture, he's called the good shepherd. In 1 Peter 5, we looked at last week, he's called the chief shepherd. And over in Hebrews, he's called the great shepherd. He is the perfect shepherd, but there's no one man on this earth that can be the perfect shepherd. So God gives a group of men because hopefully between the group, we get it right. You see what I'm saying? Because as I go into an elders meeting, sometimes my motivations and my directions are wrong, and the other elders put me in line. Or maybe Bob's are incorrect, and we work with Bob. Okay? Uh, you see how that works? We need a group. Only Christ is perfect. So as the church is set up, there should be a plural called for the elders of the church. And when they had come together, he said to them, you know, from the first day I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. I I love that little phrase. I always lived among you. One of the other things I want you to notice is 
that the heart of leadership is example. You lead by example. I was among you. You know, it's not a matter of being a, a pastor and you're over here. You have to be among the people. By the way, whatever group you're working with, and it may not be that you're an elder, but you may be a deacon or you may be a home group leader or working with Word of Life kids or, or Olympian kids, your leader, are you among them? Do you have any, any interest in those children and those adults outside of Sunday night? All right? Are you praying for them outside of Sunday night? I hope that we are a church that we are involved with our people, living among them, really caring about them, giving them a call. By the way, since I mentioned Word of Life, uh, I failed to mention in this announcement that also Word of Life, um, you know, if you're going to be in, involved in our Word of Life program, you also have to sign up. Okay, so that was my little announcement that I forgot earlier. But again, living among them, these elders lived among them. I'm afraid that sometimes we just do our ministry. I, I, I picture it this way. Sometimes on Sunday night, maybe some leaders come in, and as they walk through those double doors, all of a sudden they, they grab their Olympian uniform or they grab their Word of Life uniform. We don't wear uniforms, but they grab it. And they go through the busyness and do everything else. And as they leave Sunday night at 7.30, they throw that off. I'll get it next week. But the reality is we should be thinking about and praying for and calling the ones that we're seeking to lead. You know, I think of that example, that picture I've seen a number of times of the U.S. US Army infantry soldier. He's got his, his helmet on, his rifle, and, and he's looking back. And what is he doing? He, he's saying this, follow me. You know, what did Christ say? Follow me. That's what we should be as leaders. Follow me. I'll blaze the trail. Just follow me. So again, that's what, what he's talking about. In what manner I always lived among you. I always lived And then he tells them what he's actually, how he lived among them. And again, this is very instructive for us, any of us who are leaders. First of all, Paul served with a singular focus. Verse 19, it says, serving the Lord. You might want to fill these into your, into your outline there. He, he served with a singular focus. Because he said, serving the Lord. That word serving is where we get our word doulos, dulio, slave, slave of the Lord, slave of serving the Lord. That's what he's referring to. I, I, I'm a slave of the Lord. That's a singular focus. If, if you're a slave of someone, you're, you, you're, you've got a singular focus. All you care about is one thing, serving, pleasing the master, Right? And when Paul says, I'm serving the Lord, he's saying, listen, that's my focus. When it comes right down to it, the only person I'm really caring to, to please is Jesus Christ. So again, he served with a singular focus because he understood he was a slave to another. It was Christ. In fact, if you go down to verse 24, look at this. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. See, in other words, he gave me something, and I just want to be faithful to the end. I just want to finish strong. I just want to get to the end, and, and I hear, well done. Is that how it is with you? Do you really serve the Lord with a singular focus? You know, Lord, you've put me in charge of these kids. I've got this women's group. I'm dealing with these men. Whatever group it might be, I've got my children. And Lord, I just want to see them walk with you. And I will pray to that end. I will be faithful to them because my eyes are not even set on them. My eyes are set on you of doing what you have 
you've entrusted this stewardship to me and I want to be faithful. So Paul, first of all, he has singular focus. Second of all, he, he served with humility. He served with humility. Again, I, I heard some of Brendan's um, lesson downstairs, and he was talking about humility and pride. You know, it's interesting because he mentioned pride. Pride, one of the words for pride is like smoke filled, um, like you can't see, blinded by smoke. The interesting thing about a pride person, proud person is they don't see it. You can tell them you're proud, and they won't see it. In fact, you need to go and help them see it because one of the characteristics of pride is they don't see it. No, it's not me, it's that person. But again, look at Paul. Paul, it says, with humility, with all humility. That word humility means a deep sense of one's littleness. It goes back to a low view of man. You know, when it's all said and done, I am not critical to this ministry. I'm not indispensable, right? I can be, I can die. I hope I don't. I'd like to see my granddaughter grow up and some of the other ones. I wonder how many grandkids I'll have at the end. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's not like you absolutely need me and, and, or that God absolutely needs you. You know, our littleness. And yet, you know what? Even though we're guilty and sinful and sinners, God still seeks to use you. Isn't that a marvelous thought? Sinners saved by grace. That really could be our banner. Only a sinner saved by grace. You know, Corinthians 4, 7 says, For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Everything you have is received by God. So he says, listen, as, I'm, as I was ministering to you, he said, I, I, I serve the Lord with all humility. I, I just was thankful and grateful that I had the privilege of being able to serve you at Ephesus. One man said this, we must learn early how to grow in, in humility. It, it really takes, it takes work to grow in humility. It, it takes the knowing the facts and meditating and then letting that transform us that really it's all about God and not about us. That it's really about him wanting to work in us that we didn't get smart one day and find him, he searched for us. He provided the entire path of salvation. And you put all those things together and there's a heart of gratefulness that says, Lord, I want to love you by loving others. I want to serve you by serving others. And so that's how Paul was, with all humility. Another thing it says that um, with many tears, that's Paul served with compassion. Compassion. He was empathetic. He had tears. I, I kind of see tears as internal suffering, as it were. In other words, it really, he wanted to see people changed. He wanted to see people saved. In fact, over in Romans 9, he says, I have a great sorrow and continual grief. I, I could wish myself a curse for my brethren. Talking about the Jews. I, I could wish myself damned for their sake. Now, again, he, he understood uh, that he was saved for eternity, but the point was is he had this deep sorrow in his soul when a person said no to Christ. And, and I think, you know, that's very instructive to me as, a, as an elder. I hope it is for you. Like when your kids, that someone you're ministering to says, no, I don't want to receive Christ, does that pain you? Or is it like, well, forget them, I'll find someone else? No, it should pain us. 
When, when someone that is a Christian decides not to follow in the path of God for a moment of time or a month of time or a year, does that pain you? Or do you even maybe gossip about them to some other Christian? Well, that's what they thought. <laughs> or does it really hurt? Man, God is dishonored, and they're going down the wrong path because of selfishness. That should hurt. That should hurt us if we're really unified, if we're really a family. So again, Paul served with compassion. You know, in 2 Corinthians, again, this is talking about Christians. 2 Corinthians 2.4, he said, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears. In the second part of that, he says, That you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. He says, As I look at you, Corinthians, now think about the Corinthians, sinful, <laughs> selfish, factious, going the wrong direction, not mature, babes in Christ. He said, you know, again, I have these pains, anguish of heart. Because again, they were sinning Christians and they weren't following God. I have anguish. You know some people that perhaps are sinning Christians. Does that create anguish? If it doesn't, it shows, again, are we really focused on the Lord? Singularly focused on Him? Are we truly serving out of humility? Because if we see where God has brought us, don't you want to bring other people along and it should create anguish if it's not there? You know, we should be willing to reach out. Again, we should identify with those whom we serve. Romans 12 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You know, we we read that, we memorize that, we meditate on that. But really, that's not easy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Actually, sometimes we envy those who rejoice. Have you ever had envious in, in your heart, covetous? Weep with those who weep. Sometimes we don't. We find their weeping and we just don't even pick up the phone. We don't want to talk to them. Why? Because, you know, I have enough problems. Well... You know, again, God wants us to be empathetic, compassionate to those around us. If someone was happy, Paul was happy with them because he was happy for them. He struggled with them in their struggles. He grieved with them in their grief. I think this is very instructive for anybody who's leading anyone, not just the elders, not just the deacons, anyone who's leading, we should be empathetic. Serving the Lord with focus, humility, empathetic, compassionate, he brings up another, the last part of verse 19, and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Trials. Paul served with perseverance. It wasn't just that he was empathetic, but he persevered. It's one thing to be involved in a person's life. It's another thing to persevere with them. And there was perseverance in trials. And again, you know, uh, Corinthians says this, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Again, the, we don't just serve in the good times, during trials. Paul's making an emphasis. Listen, yes, I, weeped with, I wept with you, I cried with you, but I stayed with you. Isn't that a great thing? You ever have, have you ever had a major trial in your life and, and one or two, three Christians? It doesn't have to be the whole church. It's not designed that way. But someone came to your door, wrote you a note, put their arm around you, prayed with you, called you. They were there. And you knew if you had to call on them again, they would be there, right? That's, that's perseverance. Um, Psalms 84, 6. And just write this one down. I don't know if I left it in, but it says, And they pass through the valley of weeping, Baca. But then it says this, They make it a spring. And Warren Wearsby had a note on this particular verse. He said this, Here is a pilgrim growing, going through a difficult valley. So difficult, he is even weeping. It's the valley of weeping. 
but he leaves behind a well of refreshment to refresh the pilgrims that will follow him. I love that. In other words, he goes from a a valley of weeping, they make it a spring. The the valley of weeping was made a spring. Why? Because the person that went through dug the well. Well, we can do that in people's lives. Again, 2 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 4. As God has comforted us, as God has worked us through a trial, what happens? Now, all of a sudden, my antennas are up for someone else that has a trial. And as that person goes through their valley, I can help make it a spring. I can bring refreshment to their soul. Hey, this is what the Lord's taught me. This is how the Lord ministered to me. This is how the Lord brought power into my life and victory over temptation in my life. Are you in the habit of making, turning your trials by God's grace into victory and make it in a refreshing spring for others to follow? I trust that, that you are. Again, are you leaving a refreshing well to those who are coming afterwards? Warren also, Wearsby also said this, great Christians are made by great trials. Great Christians are made by great trials. A man does not have endurance simply by reading a book or praying a prayer. He becomes patient and enduring by going through the valleys and the trials of life. We don't learn how to pray by sitting in an easy chair. We learn how to pray by going through the valley. Faith is cultivated in the darkness of the valley. God may teach us in the light, but he tests us in the darkness. We want the faith of a George Mueller, of a Martin Luther, but again, they went through huge trials, and God cemented their faith. And many, by the way, many of you are going through huge trials. But the question is: Is it making you bitter, frustrated, angry? Which again, as, as Brendan was saying today really exposes our heart of pride or is it making you better and saying, Lord, I can trust you. I I knew that I could trust you, but now as I'm going through this trial, I know I can trust you and you're you're growing me deep. But but I'm not going to keep it to myself. I'm going to pass it on to someone else because they're in need too. So again, as James says, the testing of your faith produces endurance. It produces maturity. That's the testing. We need to be tested. By the way, how many want to be tested? Yeah, Donna just went like this. <laughs> I mean, like, no one wants to be tested, right? So we're not saying, Lord, test me, I'm strong. No, no. Lord, in fear and trembling, I'm even preaching this message. But Lord, if it comes, I, I trust that it's coming from a gracious hand. And it's been filtered by your love as a father, right? But, but Paul says, listen, when I'm there, I'm committed to you. I was doing it, you know, through trials too. It wasn't just during the good times. Look at verse 20. He did it fearlessly. This is another characteristic of a good leader, a good shepherd. Fearlessly, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. I mean, nothing. There's, by the way, in teaching and leadership, there are always times when if you just left out this little piece of information, everything would be just as smooth as glass. But if you add that one little piece, someone's going to get upset. But I, I, I didn't keep back anything. Testifying to the Jews, also to the Greeks. Repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that verse because repentance and faith, see how they're wedded together? And see, now I, I go bound in, in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. I don't know what is going to happen in my life, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying the chains, that chains and tribulations await me. I mean, there's, it's not going to be easy, but I'm following the Lord. 
But none of these things move me, verse 24, nor do I count my, my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry again, which, which I've received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone, pre- gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. I'm not going to be here again. This will be my last time. See, this is why this passage is so important. This is the last time I'm going to see you. What, is it, what if it was the last time you'd see your kid for some reason, maybe death or whatever? What would you tell them? See, this is how Paul's treating this. I'm not going to see you again, but I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this information. Just remember my example. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Do you see the fearlessness, the boldness of Paul? I, I could have made it easy. I, I could have made it so I wasn't in chains. I could make it so that everything was just always hunky-dory. But you know, in the Christian life, we're dealing with truth, and truth sometimes, many times unites, but often divides. And sometimes when you're a leader, you have to confront that sin. You have to speak the truth, knowing that there might be a negative reaction. But you do it nonetheless. Why? Because your eyes are singularly focused on Christ. Let me give you one last one. Paul served, or at least actually commanded the elders there to serve with holiness. The first part of 28, Therefore take heed to yourself and to the flock, to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Take heed. Take heed to yourself. What do you mean? Make sure you're holy. Make sure that you're not saying a message that's really not even in your life. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taught and you know that what you were teaching wasn't even true in your life, in your own life? So he's telling the elders at Ephesus, he's telling the leaders at Ephesus, you know, make sure that you take heed to yourselves first. Again, take heed to yourselves lest you live in those sins which you teach against in others, unless you be guilty of that which you condemn. While you seek to release others, you yourself become a slave to that sin. Again, we need to be humble. <laughs> we need to depend on God. But we need to see God work in our life so we become more holy, so that as we lead, we're, you know, like that soldier, follow me. Again, you don't want to follow someone right over a cliff, spiritually. By the way, if you tell someone, follow me, and this is one of the things that we're going to be really encouraging our Word of Life and Olympian leaders. If you're going to say, I want you to memorize God's Word, my question is, follow me. Are you memorizing God's Word? By the way, kids, if any kids are left here, ask your leader, are you memorizing? Are you meditating? Are you in God's Word? That's a good question. Are you praying for me this week? You know, if he sheepishly looks away, then just take that as a correction from the Lord and change it, right? By the way, why would Paul do all this? Suffer, focus, holiness. Why would, well, he gives us the answer. Second part of 28. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. There again, that defines the, the correct view of man. What, what do you mean you have a low view of man? He purchased, yeah, he purchased a bunch of sinners. <laughs> He purchased a bunch of enemies. That's what he purchased. But again, we are important to God. 
So again, why would Paul shepherd? Why, why, would, why would a bunch of elders even at this church, and many of them have been involved in ministry for year after year after year. And many times, you know, we meet extra meetings and on, uh, on Mondays, the third month, or the third Monday of the month, and all the different things that these men do and the deacons do and the teachers do. Why would you? Because of the preciousness of the church. Because he purchased it with his own blood. And if you love Jesus Christ, you love his church. That's just that simple. If you love Christ, you love his church. It's an outworking. Again, we weren't redeemed with silver and gold. We were redeemed, Peter says, with the precious blood of Christ. Or as Philip Ryken says, as far as God is concerned, nothing in the whole world is more precious than the church of Christ. Nothing. That, that just gives me energy. Doesn't it give you energy to want to serve? If you really know that there's nothing more precious in this entire world than the church of Christ, and I don't mean just the local, I'm saying every member, every believer, but doesn't that give you energy to say, yes, I will put my whole heart into this? I hope it does. Let me turn the page, though, for a moment in Acts, from Acts 20 and just look at shepherding at Alfred Allman Bible Church. Just, let's, just kind of let's take it for the next five minutes and say, how does shepherding work here? Because, again, we're looking at these blocks accurate view of the church, a biblical view of, uh, of church leadership. And, and I want you to get a better picture of what we do here based on those principles that we're looking at, based on Acts 20 that we're looking at. And again, I, I probably will carry this on to another message in another month and a half or well. So, but again, in your outline, it says AABC shepherding. What are our responsibilities? When I mean ours, I'm saying the elders. Because our church functions a lot different than a lot of other churches. A lot of churches have let's say maybe a pastor, maybe even some deacons. Maybe it's not happening this way. And I want you to understand what our responsibilities are. You notice there's three C's there, the three C's of an under-shepherd. By the way, we're not the chief shepherd, right? Christ is. But we're under-shepherds. But the three C's are this. First of all, we're going to communicate to you. The elders of the church will communicate to the body of believers to let them know which elder is their Elder, That makes sense, right? By the way, we haven't always done a good job of that. There are times that people come up to me and says, they say this, well, I know that we're, we have shepherds, but I don't know whose mine is. Okay, now, we accept the responsibility there, but we've redone, and we've tried to refocus, retooled, and within the next two or three weeks, you'll find out. Now, for most of you, you have the same shepherd. Okay, but there are a few changes, and I hope you're patient with us. We're trying to make it efficient so that we can really shepherd this church. We, we consider this, I, I consider shepherding the hardest job on this earth, if you think about it. It's very difficult. Why? Because I'm a sinner saved by grace, trying to help lead and shepherd other sinners saved by grace. That's difficult because you have all these motivational things being played out. But you're gonna, we're going to confirm or communicate to you who's your under-shepherd. Number two, this person will end up contacting you on a monthly basis. Now, again, may contact you through home group, a small group you're involved in, maybe on the phone, maybe at the church. But the idea is this, and this is what I try to ask my people, although I haven't always been faithful. If you're one of mine, you hold me accountable, okay? But the point is this, how can I pray for you? I'm not really looking for necessarily a lot of chit-chat, although that's important too. I mean, sometimes I'm on the phone for a half hour, 45 minutes. That's great. But the point, the real point I want is how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life that I can help you with? Now, again, that's for people that are 
then I'm seeking help to shepherd. But Lee's got, Billy's got, Bob, Mike, Nate, okay, Brendan. Actually, Brendan will too. They will call you, but understand, that's what we're trying to do. How can I pray for you? By the way, when a person says, this is what you can pray for, usually these are hard issues. These are things that are really tugging at me. But again, by by the way, that's hard. That's real hard. Some people really want to let you know. There's other times I call and like, nothing. Oh, come on. Give me a glimpse into your heart. Okay, you could make it a little easy by giving us a glimpse. Okay, we might even do it email. Doesn't that sound sterile and cold? No, we want to communicate. It, it happens in different ways. Some of you like to do the email thing. Some of you do the Facebook all the time. I never, don't send me something on Facebook, by the way. I don't go. <laughs> I'm just now getting really used to the email. Okay? So communicate, contact, and then the third thing is connect. We'll try to connect. You know, having you over. Maybe you can have us over. No, but the point is, is that, but by the way, just let me, let me say this. I would love to have all of you over at our house all the time. It's just, it's an impossibility. But a lot of you have been over our house that you're not under my shepherding list. I still love you. By the way, if you're not under my shepherding list, I still love you. If you're not under Lee's, Lee still loves you. It's just that we're trying to break it up so that we can truly have connection. See, a lot of churches say they have shepherding. We've said it for years. And don't be honest with you, a, a, a fair to good job. We just want to make sure that we're really doing the best job we can. With limited time, sinful people, right? But we're going to still seek to do that. So communicate, contact, connect. Now, what is your responsibility? Get connected with your shepherd and other people. Get connected. Are we supposed to be a family? A body? I, I hurt my arm here uh, last week, and, and it's been telling me I'm hurt, and I keep having to really be careful with it, Okay. That's how we should be with each other. There should be care and concern. And at times you are hurt. At times you need others. And we, but get connected. Be more than just your own little group. Sometimes it's easy just to hang with a certain few. Try to get connected. Look across the aisle. I don't even know that person. I've seen him here for three months. Maybe find out who the person is and actually have him over to your house. Get connected with the body. Now, I say that for, for a number of reasons. I think sometimes over the years I've heard people say, they won't say it direct, but they'll say it kind of like, well, you never come to see me. Talk about me as a pastor. And I try to emphasize, you know, we're a plurality. We're eldership. We're working together as a team. And sometimes people are looking for connection with, well, let's face it, everyone else is not important. The pastor and his wife. That's not true. This is a family. What if I had to leave this ministry, either through sickness or sin? I would hope that you would have a little tear in your eye maybe for me. You know, Paul had tears. But beyond that, you still stay connected. It's not about me. It's not about soul. It's not about you connecting. It's not about you connecting with just myself and her or our family. It's about you connecting together, right? You really, I'm really very, I believe God, Jesus Christ wants you interconnected and it takes work. But I'll tell you, it is one of the most enjoyable things my wife and I well, this summer we've been trying to do even bigger groups, you know, because, again, it would take a long time if you just had couples over. Big groups. Take, a, take you know, ask six or seven families over. Doesn't that sound threatening to you? Well, hopefully not. Um, 
But, you know, that is just a wonderful way to get to know. And by the way, it's a lot easier because if you only have one couple, you have to stay focused. But if you have six or seven families, I mean, they're all talking about you. All you have to do is keep the food coming, you know. <laughs> okay. But you see what I'm saying? You can make it a lot easier on us. In fact, Hebrews 13 says this, Obey those who rule over you and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls, as those who must give an account. That's talking about the elders. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Let them do it with joy. I would add this also. Make it easy on them. Know that if they're calling, it's not just because they have nothing else to do in that day. They're calling because... And it's not just because, well, John's going to ask them or Brendan's going to ask them if they've called their shepherding list. They really want to know. They want to know how they can pray for you. Okay? That's a lot of work. I mean, that's hard. You try to do that. Just call someone and just say, well, how can I be praying for you? And do that consistently. That's not easy. So in other words, if a man goes down that path, it's because he believes before God and he loves God and loves you enough to do it. So you can make it easy. Let me also say this. We believe from Scripture that it's not just the elders that can do this. I believe this, that the elders can also have other people helping them to do this. So it might be like right now we have Gina Stearns is going to help me shepherd some single women that are under my care. Doesn't that sound good to you? That instead of me calling the single women, Gina's calling the single women. And we're also doing this with a number of the deacons, okay, and some others. So understand that ultimately I will be uh, praying for as well, but I want other people to help. Shepherding is hard, so we need, you know, we need to work together. And finally, I ask the question, who's responsible? Who's responsible? What do I mean by this? Go to Galatians 6 as we close. Galatians 6. Because it sounds like the Word of God is contradicting itself. And, he, and, we're, and we're in Galatians, and we'll be here, and we'll really expand on this in another couple months. But look at 6, verse one, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Then he says this, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear. Bear one another's burden. But look at verse 5. By the way, in the context, he's talking about someone who has fallen spiritually. Look at verse 5. It says, For each one shall bear his own load. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Each one bear his own load. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? Well, I thought you were supposed to bear one another's burdens. Why are you saying bear your own load? Two specific different words for burden. The worst first word burden is this. A weight so heavy that you cannot carry it. The second one is the word for like a backpack. You can carry a backpack. Now, now this is huge, guys, because when it comes to shepherding, we have to make the distinction, and you do too. Is this a weight that's so heavy I can't carry? If it is, James says, call for the elders. Um, other passages would say like this one, to encourage, exhort, bear one another's burdens. The idea is there are some rocks, well, not rocks. I have some rocks up here. To, in fact, you're going to start thinking that our church is about blocks and rocks. But you know what? I, I wrote some things down on this rock that might be heavy, maybe too heavy for you to do, maybe not. A car repair, something that's overwhelming financially. A reoccurring sickness. 
a hurt, depression, disappointment, a disappointing relationship, money problems, sickness, disease, maybe just the fact that you're going through life and it's not fulfilled. You know, for some of you, that's a, that's a backpack issue. Well, Lord, I just got to keep, you know, trusting you and you're going to, you know, yeah, that person and my wife is really driving me crazy, but I can deal with it. I know, I know the principles. But, but then you come across something, and by the way, this, is, this would be pretty heavy. I hope I don't break as my soul. Oh, that's pretty heavy. But I could, I, well, I could if I didn't have a bad arm. But, <laughs> but you know, yeah, how do you even do this thing? Yeah, I don't even see the other thing. I should have put it on earlier. But, you know, the point is, you're going to help me? All right, so Lee, uh, where's the other strap, my friend? Oh, there it is. By the way, this is how it happens sometimes. Someone comes along and says, listen, I'll help you with it now. I'm okay there. Yeah, so it doesn't smash my foot. That'd be great. That's good. I wore my suit today, too, so it's kind of hard. But anyways, thank you, Lee. Are you putting more weight on? Uh, no, really, actually, in illustration form, that's exactly right. Sometimes you even, I can carry it now. He's helped me. I can carry it. It's a burden. That's verse 5. But sometimes, see, I have this on now. And this one, pretty catastrophic. They say people go through crises about every six months. I need some help, Benny. Would you help me? Benny, let's block so that you can deal with it. Uh, help me out. Ah, yeah, lose your, you, yeah, don't drop it or smash my feet. I'm just going to move it because, see, I'm moving along life. So you got it? Okay, now. See, that's a pretty big block, by the way. I can almost do this by myself, but I hurt my back. But, no. <laughs> Whew, okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> if, I was, if you told me I had to do those blocks by myself, whew, put that in there, it would be really overwhelming. Now, when it comes to things, uh, hurts, disappointments, all the things of life, temptations, what's hard in shepherding is to know, is this something unbearable? Or is this something that they can handle on their own? Or is this something I need to help them with and get them moving? That's a huge question. That's what's very difficult in shepherding. You can help. Sometimes people go through this, what we thought was this, and it turned out that in their life it was this. And then they say, and the church wasn't there. Ooh, I hope this thing doesn't collapse. But the point is, is this, communicate. That's all. Just communicate. Lord, I need help. By the way, if you're independent and you say, Lord, I don't need help, what does that really smack of? Okay, see, God didn't make you as an individual, as an island. He made you to be interconnected and unified with each other. In fact, he even put problems into your life to drive you to that point. So again, communicate. And we will not be perfect as leaders, as this church, we'll never be perfect. But again, we really want to do a good job before the Lord of helping to lead and shepherd you. So, you have to decide in your own life. Is this burden something I need to bear by myself? Or Lord, I need help. And you know where I'm going to get help? From your word, but you know where I'm going to get it from? Your people, because you gave me your people and it's called the church because I know I'm not supposed to be an island. I'm supposed to be walking with others. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads.
And I would just ask that you would be thinking about these things. You might ask God to evaluate your heart so that as we go before his table, we might be going with a pure heart and correct motives. And the ushers who are coming up to help, if you would come. Thank you. Let's pray.